Don't worry, sir. I have a cunning plan. They were the words of Baldrick in every episode of the hit comedy Black Adder. And in every episode, that plan was absolutely useless. The announcement of Baldrick's cunning plan would inevitably end with Blackadder throwing something at him or giving him a clip round the ear. Baldrick was a fool, but even he realised something important. When things have gone wrong, when we find ourselves in a time of trouble, we need a clear plan of how we're going to get through. Emily and I once made a plan. Things had become difficult in Bromley. I was unwell, and despite many attempts, Emily had struggled to settle in. We knew things were not right. Things had to change. So we went to the seaside for the day. We walked down the beach together, and then we sat in a cafe. Out came the notebook. And we wrote down all of our hopes and dreams in life. We made note of all that we sensed God calling us to. And we prayerfully planned out a few steps that we were going to take to start moving forward. Step number one was to write a letter to the Baptist Union of Scotland and explain our situation. We asked if they would help us to seek God's will for our lives. And this past week... We were delighted to mark three years of being here on Isla. The plan hatched in that beachside cafe in Kent has come to fruition in ways quite beyond our imagining. Having a plan can be very important. This year there will be inquiries taking place into how the government has dealt with the pandemic. The question will be asked as to whether they had the necessary plans in place to enable them to cope in such a crisis. In many ways, it appears that they didn't. But could anyone really have foreseen the level of difficulty that we are currently living through? One thing is for certain, we all wish that we had hold of a clear plan for the present to know exactly where we are in this pandemic and how much longer it has to run. We want the assurance that one day it will be over. And we want to know the part that we can play in speeding that end. In many different situations then, having a plan calms our fearful hearts and shows us how to take the next few steps forward. As Paul begins his wonderful letter to the Ephesians, he uses the first 14 verses to lay out a plan. This is not just any old plan. This is the great plan of God. The blueprint for all of life and all of time. As plans go, you cannot get bigger than this. Paul begins his letter in this way for all the reasons we've just mentioned. He wants to bring reassurance to his readers. In the hardship of their lives, he wants to direct their attention to the sovereign God who has everything in hand. He wants them to understand all that is happening in the present and how God is going to bring them out of it. 
He also wants them to know what part they have to play. These verses really are sublime and they contain all the truth that we need to continue facing this pandemic with hope. So let's sketch this great plan of God out once more. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But wait, this plan begins even before that. Because before God had created a thing, verse 4 tells us that he had already chosen us. That's right. Before time itself began, God had chosen to make you and he'd chosen to make me and all the rest of his people. He had set his heart on forming a people who he could relate to and lavish his love and affection upon God made the world with all its incredible detail and majesty, so he had a setting to live this relationship out in. What a thought that is. But there's more, much more. Again, before the creation of the world, God knew the cost of creating a people for himself. If he wanted to have people who he could love and who would love him in return, he had to give them freedom of thought and expression. For no love that is forced can ever be true. And in giving his people free will, God knew what they would do with it. At times they would choose against him. They would choose selfishly. At times they would make decisions that unleashed pain and destruction into his good world. So before God had breathed a word to bring life into the world, verses 5 to 8 tell us he had already planned to send his son to redeem it. And here is the wonder of our faith. Before God had made an atom, he knew the pain he would feel on the cross. He knew the heartache. He knew the bloodshed. He knew the death that would be required to redeem his people from their sin. But right there, in that moment, beyond time, beyond space, God decided it would be worth it. To have a people who he could love and who could love him in return, there could be nothing better than that. To have a thriving cosmos full of life, sky and sea, sun and rain, animal and flower. What delight God would know. So God had a plan. And right from the beginning, he knew how it would end. When all that is necessary has been fulfilled, the Bible reading tells us that he will bring all things into unity under Jesus. Heaven and earth will one day come together. God will be united with his people face to face. Peace and joy will reign. This, then, is the great plan 
of God. We were chosen before the creation of the world. We were rescued from our sin in Christ Jesus. And we await the day when Jesus returns and all things are gloriously fulfilled. And when we look at this plan, we can know great assurance because nothing can derail this. It was made before the creation of the world. And when we look at this plan, we see where we are now. We are in this necessary period of preparation where the message of the cross and our redemption is preached to as many people as possible, so as many people as possible are ready for that fulfilment when it comes. As a devout Jew, Paul had added confidence in this great plan of God, for he could see how God had already achieved it once before in miniature As Paul read his Old Testament, he could see this same pattern. Right at the start of the Old Testament, God chose Abraham. He chose to make a people through him. That people went astray and found themselves enslaved. And God rescued them out of Egypt, redeeming them through the shedding of blood. Then as they spent their time wandering around the wilderness, God was preparing them for their future inheritance. And eventually that promised glory was received as the Lord marched them into the promised land just as he said he would do. Chosen, redeemed, prepared, fulfilled. This is the great plan of God. The Old Testament is a snapshot of this far greater picture And this is the plan that we are to hold on to. This is the plan that we are to live our lives within. This is the plan that gives perspective to everything that we experience. This is the plan that assures us that this pandemic is only a passing phase. Glory awaits. It has been planned from the very beginning. Now, Paul could have stopped there in verse 10. He's already said enough to bring peace to our trembling hearts and excite us. But Paul is on a roller here. Verses 3 to 14 are one long sentence in Greek. And you can imagine Paul sat there writing the glories of his faith just spilling out of his heart onto the page. He can barely control himself. He's so excited, punctuation has gone out of the window. And for verse 11, Paul hurtles onwards to give another layer of reassurance to his readers. This great big plan of God comes with a great big promise. I've just said how Paul, as a devout Jew, saw the pattern of God's work in and through what he did with his people in the Old Testament. Do you remember how, in the time after the Exodus, the people wandered around in the wilderness? 
They'd been redeemed through the blood of the Passover lamb. And they knew that a future glory, the promised land, lay in store. But they were unsure as to how to go about daily life in the meantime. And every time they came across an obstacle, be it an enemy army, or a great river, or a drought, or a famine, they began to panic. Sound familiar? We're living in very similar circumstances today. Well, during that time, God sent help to his people. He guided them using a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And in that way, God personally led his muddled people through to their inheritance in the promised land. Do we remember this? Good. Well, Paul, in his opening to the Ephesians, goes on to describe the Holy Spirit in the same way. As we wait in this period between the redemption from Jesus on the cross and the fulfilment that will come when he returns, God places his Holy Spirit in our hearts to lead and to guide us. But Paul is at pains to state that the Holy Spirit is more than just a divine satnav or a holy sherpa. The Spirit is more than just a guide or a leader. The Holy Spirit is part of the very inheritance that we are waiting for. To help explain this, Paul switches metaphors to the world of finance and accounting. In verse 14, he describes the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing future payment. Imagine you're buying a home. You see your dream place, but there is no way you can afford it in one go. So you pay a deposit, part of the amount required. And you pledge yourself to paying the rest down through the years by means of a mortgage. In that way, the deposit guarantees that one day full payment will be made. And this is how Paul wants us to think about the Holy Spirit. When we place our faith in Jesus, when we experience the redemption of our sins through his blood shed on the cross... The Holy Spirit pours into our life. And the Spirit will lead us and guide us every day until we meet Jesus face to face. But he also acts as a great promise that God's plan will come to fruition. The Spirit is the deposit that guarantees our spirit-filled eternity. The Spirit is God with us now, just as he will be forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. And in this way, the Spirit is more than just a promise. It is a foretaste. A foretaste of glory. The Spirit brings God's love and joy and peace into our lives. The Spirit brings God's presence to us. And this is what we will know for all eternity. So the great plan of God is that we've been chosen in Christ, 
redeemed in Christ, and we now wait for the fulfilment of all things in Christ. And the great promise of God is that the Spirit is alive and acting in our hearts right now, acting as a seal, a guarantee that one day the trials of the present will be over and we will know glory. No wonder Paul is so excited to write about these things. I hope we're excited reading about them. Now, in the introduction to this sermon, I stated that the other advantage to having a plan is that we know what little steps we can take to move forwards during a time of difficulty. For Emily and I, when we were struggling in Bromley, the first step that we could take was to write a letter. Well, once you understand the plan that God has for the world and the plan that he has for our lives, we can begin to see the purpose that we have in this present time. The things that we're to be getting on with today. What are we to be doing as we wait for God's plan to come to fruition? Well, lay through these wonderful verses, Paul gives us the answer. We are to praise. Three times as Paul describes what God is up to, he slips in the phrase, to the praise of his glory. You'll see it there in verses 6 and 12 and 14. We were chosen before the creation of the world to the praise of his glory. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, our sins taken away to the praise of his glory. We are being led by the Spirit until Jesus comes again to the praise of his glory. For all eternity, we will praise God's glory. But this praise of God is more than just the singing of a few hymns on a Sunday, though it certainly includes that. In verse 4, Paul spells it out that to live a life of praise to God also means living a life that is holy and blameless in his sight. We are to live in such a way that we reflect God's glory out into the world. We are to allow the Holy Spirit enough space in our lives that we become a foretaste of glory to those who live around us. Our praise of God needs to be lived out in our actions day by day, in the community outside the walls of this building. Because in that way, they get to hear about the plan. Our praise of God also needs to be lived out in our words to others. In verse 9, we learn that part of what is going on at this current stage in the plan of God is that the gospel is being preached. God has revealed to us the mystery of his will and his purpose, and we are to pass that on to others. We are to retell the story just as Paul has done in these verses. Our purpose in life is to pass on God's big plan. 
to tell other people about God's big promise to us and to urge them to put their trust in it as well. So in this current time, as we wait for the plan of God to be fulfilled, we are to live a life of praise. Not just singing songs on a Sunday, but in the actions of our lives and the words that we say to others. To conclude then, we are in a time of crisis and we need a plan to get us out. And fortunately in this case, we don't have to make the plan because God has already done it. We have to hold on to it. We have to follow it with everything we've got. When the world seems to be crashing down around us, let us remember the truth of these verses. We have been chosen. We have been redeemed. We are heading for glory. When the pandemic is making us waver in doubt, let us remember that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Nothing can stop God's promise coming true. And once we've dusted ourselves off and got ourselves back up, let us get back on with our purpose, giving praise to our Lord.